Okay, cool. To the cloud. Recording in progress. Awesome. <clears throat> so, I'm testing my own mic right now. And, uh, Sifu Allen, what you got there for me? Hip hop, hip hip hop to the don't stop, to rock it to the bang bang boogie, I'll jump the boogie. It's funny. <laughs> First of all, that was really good. Second of all, <laughs> it's funny, like, we've been talking for, like, 10 minutes, 20 minutes now, and uh, uh-huh. I'm still checking levels and adjusting <laughs> stuff. Like, like I even need to. I feel like I'm just like one of the Death Star techs. Like, I'm just going to turn the knobs <laughs> and hope that something doesn't right. blow up. It's <laughs> right. not supposed to. Right. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to Smathcast. I think this is episode 19. I said 20-something in episode 18, so before... We get started. I've just confused everybody sufficiently. Uh, this is your main man, Fodson, and I have Sifu Alan Venable from Phoenix Saber Academy with me tonight. Hello. It is a late one. It's like midnight here, and uh, pushing pushing that direction for Sifu. Um, how are things? I didn't actually ask you that um, tonight. I can't believe I didn't ask you that. What a butthead. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, things are good. Actually, doing doing pretty well. Hope everything is good, doing good on your end. Yeah, there. yeah. You know, um, busy. Things are things are keeping busy, and I know they are for you too. So that's good. Um, got done teaching a little while ago. My striking striking technique class, which is always a fun class for me. Um, and you were teaching the last couple nights. What were you teaching? Uh, sabers on Sunday. Uh, Saber on Sunday, and then uh, I basically took uh, Kenny through some uh, open hand self defense techniques uh, that are just basically, you know, trade secret stuff with, uh, for the people I trust because they just wreck people. It's one of those um, overcorrecting things. Somebody tries to throw one punch at you and you break everything in their body, sort of deal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm such a I'm such a martial arts nerd. I watched this sure. terrible show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually as far as reality TV shows go, it's really good. But I watched The Ultimate Fighter, and I'm watching all these. Oh yeah, I used to watch that. You know, for a martial yeah. arts nerd, it's it's a fun show, and you get to watch a fight every show. Right. Um, which is usually what I like about it. Uh, but I like to watch the training, and I like to watch the coaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And. George St. Pierre was the coach. And if you're not familiar with George St. Pierre as a listener, basically he's 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 the greatest MMA fighter of all time, in my opinion. He is also the leaper in Captain America 2. He's the guy who fights on the ship. Correct. Uh, Batrock. Talking to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking to Winter Soldier. Correct. And um, karate black belt and just, just an, an amazing martial artist in person. But okay. Whatever, it's not commercial for him. The point is, what he was saying is, the other coach is being a bit of a <sighs> bell end, we'll say. And um, mm-hmm. he was telling his team, like, listen, he can talk all he wants, like, and I'm just, it's fine. It can just roll off my back and whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. the second, the second he tries to touch me, the mm-hmm. second he tries to touch me, it's Boom! 
And it's very similar to what yeah. you just said, right? Like the person throws one punch, like and you just dis- completely dismantle their spine. So yeah, that that's cool. I like it. Good stuff to teach. <laughs> Fun stuff. It's like why? Why? I don't know. That's kind of you try to discourage uh, anybody else to do to to tell you otherwise. You know, there's a, a great line from uh, uh, one of my favorite shows, Ensure the JoJo with Master Ken. Somebody asked him, why would you do that to somebody? <laughs> what if the guy was just asking direction? And his response without missing a beat is, you should have done it from across the street. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a yeah. good-ass point, though. You know, yeah. uh, if you guys don't know Master Ken on YouTube, um, <laughs> it, it, it's become quite the like underground martial arts cult sensation. Yeah, if you're a martial artist, you, it, it's just even funnier because you're like, yeah, I've met that guy before. Yeah, because everything <laughs> he says has either been said by you or someone you know or or knew. Right, or things that you want to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or things that like – I love it when, when – I always say like we shouldn't so BS to our students when it comes uh-huh. to matters of life and death. But once in a while, it's right. fun to sow BS that doesn't matter, you know, right. <laughs> and, and that right. stuff he, he does. Well. So anyway, this is this is a good start to to the night has nothing to do with our topic tonight. But no. Hey, um, now now you know what you're in for. So tonight, oh, I think we're going to get into some some training topics, some stuff about like, how do you practice? How do you practice at home? A little more importantly, um, and maybe a little bit about like some of the things you can get, maybe from a beginner perspective into the intermediate or advanced if you're looking for some new stuff, uh, as far as like gear that might make your life easier. This is a big topic. It's kind of like where mm-hmm. do you take the mm-hmm. first bite? So let's say it's like a pizza. Let's take a slice out and let's start from the tip. Okay. Which is. Okay. Just right off the bat, some things just raw, spit something out that you like to do when you have the thought that you're about to practice martial arts at home. First of all, I got to make sure I I have my weapon in good working order, right? Um, I got to make sure that everything is is secured correctly. You know, you got to make sure that that retention screw is in there if we're talking about sabers. If it's your body, though, that that still rings true. Like, do you feel good? Are you right. kind of limbered up a little bit? Did you loosen up a little bit? Right. If you're, if you're, uh, let's say your shoulder hurts, you don't probably don't want to do too many shoulder rolls, you know, to warm them up. I, I mean, that's that's kind of a, a thing. There is a little bit of of common sense, and even though we know that common sense is uncommon some days, we we do have to make sure that. Um, we can keep coming back. But this is true, not just from uh, the aspect of your own training, but also your, your students' training, right? So if, if I always tell my students, if you got hurt outside of class, you need to let me know. Right. Because it, would, it will reflect upon what we do during the class. Yeah. If I know that you, you fell down and hurt your knee, we're probably not going to, uh, you know, just be doing jump kicks all day. Right. You know, it'll it'll be rough for you. Number one and number two, you'll not want to come back for the next class. 
or as far as saber fighting is concerned, you're not going to be doing hard sparring where you're planting on that leg all the right. all night long, or doing deep lunges or so something like that. <laughs> right. So in the essence of um, of saber fighting, there is there is something to be said about your equipment being secure, mm-hmm. uh, yourself being secure, and also just a, a, a modicum of you know the space around you is it conducive to learning exactly you know, is it conducive to movement are you actually um in a place where you can fight or you know or or, or practice swing a sword if you're indoors you know you have you cleared everything out because otherwise it, it might be that point where uh oops you uh you accidentally you, you actually knock everything over yeah you know that was going to be the first thing I said, and I'm glad you said it because now I can think of something fresh. <laughs> but the first thing I was going to say is make sure you have space. And and when we teach the holocron classes – oh, how was that for a shameless plug? Nice. Um, when we teach the holocron classes, one of the first things on the um, required materials list is you need at least six feet of space in any direction where you're not going to be hitting anything. Um, and that's just like minimum recommended amount of room. Now, right. this is also a power scaling thing. Shout out to Eric. This is a power scaling thing. Mm-hmm. If you're a beginner, I recommend you have more room to train in and more yeah. of a dedicated room to train in. Absolutely. Like, let's say your living room is like, really good you don't have any like coffee tables in there there's not like a big tv on the wall or something and you can kind of screw around and focus on technique maybe there's not a lot of distractions in there boom that's your spot that's your dojo make it yours i feel like if you're a little bit more experienced you kind of do this thing where like you close doors with hook kicks <laughs> and you bring your saber around the house and see how many light switches you can flick on and off before your wife smacks you or your husband's like knock, right. it, knock it off. You know what it, I mean? <laughs> yeah. There, there is something to be said about um, safety and also uh, there's something to be said about, can you replace what you break? you know so <laughs> exactly i guess that yeah that's kind of boils down the argument really yeah. um but but that's also comes down to yourself yeah if you're the type of person that that you know will will run around the house and do that then you know hopefully you've uh, you've explained that to your significant other uh already and you're not getting in trouble for something that uh they should have expected you to do in the first place <laughs> <laughs> to be to be totally serious just for a second because that's about all I can stomach. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, when I do something like practice a kata, mm-hmm. when I do it like in the kitchen, mm-hmm. which is not enough space for me, it's not a good space for me. Most kitchens aren't. It, well, it, tr- <laughs> truthfully, yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, it like, but if I'm cooking and I like have this thought, like I need to practice this portion or this thing. If it's like a kata or something like that, I can't I can't do it there. I have to go to like the quote unquote house dojo and and right. hash it out in that space because I I just won't get it right. 
And you can make whatever arguments you want for or against the practice of kata, whether you do them, whether you don't. But that's just the argument I'm making is that something like that where it has to really be a technique-focused sequence and you're doing it for a purpose, a very specific purpose, go ahead to the house dojo and really give it the time it deserves. Right. But if it's like you're pra- you're working on your alignment of your wrist and elbow and shoulder on your jab cross combination or something, or on your, your basic saber slash and you unscrew a blade and you're just using a hilt or a flashlight or something, then yeah, practice that in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Practice that in the bathroom. Right. Use your toothbrush for a saber hilt and go through a quick sequence of five or six moves that you learned in class just to get stuff in the mirror, you know. It's like, it, again, power scaling. That's really the best way I can think of to describe when you would need more of a dedicated space versus being able to just do stuff around the house. When it comes down to it, you'll do what you do, right? So one of the things that if you're listening to this and you know your significant others in the room, you know <laughs> we understand, you know that uh, this is not exactly for everybody. But if you're going to do it and you want to do well, it's going to basically be a lot of time, effort, and energy, uh, much like anything that you want to get good at. Uh, it, it'll just be one of those things where, oh, yeah, that's just what they do. You know, uh, there was a time when I started uh, Kung Fu where I couldn't help but make any, everything into a wooden man. Exactly. Right? Everything, everything was able for me to condition my forearms to, mm-hmm. you know, block. If we want to get really crazy with the references here, Jackie Chan in the uh, the the, the uh, Karate Kid uh, remake basically hit the nail on the head, uh, and he did so by basically quoting Bruce Lee in the Dao Jeet Kune Do. Like it's in everything, you know, how you put on your jacket, how you take off your jacket. It's everywhere and it's everything that you do. And martial arts is that. It is that part of the art. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's fortunate or unfortunate, depending on whether or not you uh, subscribe to the, to the thought of always practice, right? Or always training, as we say. Yep. Um, yep. You have to basically know that everything that you do shows up in everything that you do yeah six of one half dozen in the other for some people but if you do want to be very very good at what it is that we are talking about you're gonna practice a whole heck of a lot and you're gonna probably end up you know flicking some light switches with your saber or attacking random uh telephone poles and things of that nature right to yeah. to just know that okay well this is this might not be the best for me but okay i think i think i get the idea of of this technique because i've practiced it on just about everything i can think of and then some you know practicing <laughs> never goes mm-hmm. out of style. Right. It's like just just from a teacher's perspective, you definitely mm-hmm. you definitely can tell who's who's been practicing. Oh, absolutely. But from a student's perspective, if you're in there with other students 
and sometimes maybe you or sometimes maybe somewhere someone else gets this little hint of like somebody's overachieving tonight. Right. Like when you're looking at someone and you're you're thinking that they're overachieving a little bit, I don't think that they're overachieving. You can't really do that in a in when you're talking about self-defense, overachieving means you you survive. Right. Uh, that person is practicing outside the dojo. Right. That's what's happening. Right. What you're seeing is what the teacher's seeing, and that's why the teacher always pulls that person up for an example or always tells you that they're doing something that the rest of the class needs to look at real quick. Or like when they make a mistake, mm -hmm. they can talk the teacher can talk about that person's mistake and the person has fixed it by the next time the teacher brings it up. Does that make sense? So that's just a, a product of what, what you're seeing is practicing. Yes. I, I was going to say that basically what, what it is, is the, uh, the ability to uh, practice, right, is the definition of the of discipline, right? So because that's really what discipline is. It's not, you know, punishing your kid for doing wrong. It's, it's, it's actually, it's actually being able to do it's, it's kind of like, um, I guess the antithesis of, uh, of insanity because insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And, uh, discipline is doing the same thing over and over again in order to get better to succeed. My coworker, well, not now, but my coworker for many years, um, when he's talking to the little kids and he said like self-discipline is one of the, one of the like pillars that we, we talk about with all the age groups, adults included. And the definition we use for all age groups is doing what you should do, not just what you want to do. But right. it's exactly what you're saying. You're saying it with more grown up emphasis and that's what the activity we do is <laughs> lately, believe it or not, we're doing stuff with toys, but it's, it's, it's a grown up emphasis. So it's really important mm -hmm. that you think of it that way of doing it over and over again. Um, you know, we're just going to throw out all these, all these cliches probably all night, but there's a term greasing the groove, right? Which is. Mm -hmm. You're you're same thing, doing the same thing over and over again for a better, more defined result, and mm -hmm. that's the class mm -hmm. I teach on Tuesday nights, Technique Tuesdays, basically. Um, so anyway, you're you're at home. You've dedicated some space. You've dedicated some space in your mind is basically what we were just talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Disciplining yourself to go ahead and pick the saber up, or go ahead and get into the horse stance in the living room or whatever. And now like, what do you do? Cause like the obvious answer would be, Oh, well, let's run through all the forms I know, but like, you're going to go to class and do that. Right. So what are you going to do and how long are you going to do it? Because if you ask your piano teacher from 1989, mm -hmm. he or she would tell you, you must practice hours every day. Right. And sure you could, and you might end up <laughs> killing yourself in the process. <laughs> right. Or hating yourself in the process. You're also not wrong. 
or alienating yourself in the process, or maybe none of the above, and you're just one of those random freaks of nature, and I say that with all admiration, who can be that disciplined and still lead some sort of a normal life. It's rare. And this activity, saber fighting, not worth it yet. Right. (laughs) Not worth it yet. You're not getting paid for it. Yeah. So there's no reason to practice with that level of dedication. For me, if you're paying to do an activity and you're doing it for self-defense or fitness or just for peace of mind or, you know, mental fitness, then 5, 10 to 15 minutes every day is going to be plenty. Um, You're not even going to be able to, like, as an advanced student, handle 5, 10 to 15 minutes at home, separate from what you're already doing in class. Right. That's, that's a lot. If you spend five to 10 minutes doing something after you already went to a class that day, like you're almost overtraining. But like, if you do it for like two minutes, three minutes before you go to bed, you sleep on it, you wake up in the morning, you go, Oh yeah, wait, let me just run through that one, one more time. And then later in the day, you don't have class that day. You Go spend 5, 10, 15 minutes going over that stuff again. Now you're greasing a group. This is just my opinion. Do you have something different or or parallel or talking about like maybe duration and like once you're in that horse dance, so to speak, what you're planning to do from there? Sure. Okay. So that is um, based upon your – you have to set – a difficulty for yourself, right? So on the uh, elliptical at the gym, right? Either there's level one through 10, there's an incline, there's all that stuff. So it, 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 this isn't just for martial arts, this is for any type of exercise or any thought experiment, anything that make yourself better, it, it shows up like that. So I would, I would suggest knowing first what you're trying to achieve, right? So if I'm trying to achieve a better cardiovascular workout, I'm not going to go to the heavyweights, right? Right. If I'm trying, I'm going to try to go to do uh, some uh, maybe plyometric movements or maybe some uh, some kinetic uh, things. I'll play a game of basketball. I'll do. I'll run a lap or you know get on the treadmill or, or the row machine. Light, light sparring or shadow boxing. Yeah, right. So this is also something you can do when it comes down to your forms. You're meant to be able to do them faster, but that doesn't mean better. It just means faster, right? Because that there's a difference. But that's if you wanted cardio. Now, if I wanted a better idea of um, technique and movement, uh, slow and correct is always better than fast and sloppy then I know that I have to actually show up and go, okay, I have X, Y, and Z for my movement that I just learned. I want to get better at those specific techniques. So let's say you're trying to learn how to do an overhand block and uh, repost from there. Uh, so you use that and you, you dial in on that one technique on your pel, on your bob, on your heavy bag, on, you know, your shadow on the wall, whatever it is. Coat rack that doesn't have any coats on yeah. it or something, or you yeah. hang a heavy coat on it. There's a there's a ton of things. You can you can even uh, set up a ladder 
and you know um they put a put a broomstick in it so it looks like it has a sword right so that and you can you can basically find your way around that blade and, and find out okay that's where i need to be if i go at this angle and but you have to do a certain amount right now you've heard me say this on this podcast before but you got to do something 10 times just to remember that you did it a hundred times to get it right once. yeah a thousand times to know what you're doing and ten thousand times to do it without thinking so but you don't have to do it all at once that's the point that's exactly what your (laughs) piano teacher in 1989 didn't tell you you don't have to do it all at once right so that's the that's the rub you have to pace yourself because otherwise you will just blow out um, and you've already said it earlier today, and I was going to touch on it, but there is so, so, such a thing as um, being overexcited and you're at the risk of overtraining. And overtraining is something that, that a lot of people tend to like basically miss because uh, what happens uh, when you overtrain is that you've done something repeatedly so often that you actually tax your body to the point of injury. So for example, there is a, uh, there is a movement uh, uh, that people do, and you've seen this online all the time, but for, for those that do kendo. Um, and basically it's a, it's a high guard into a strike to the top of the head. And a lot of kendo guys do this over and over again, usually a hundred times in a row. And they try to do it quickly. And sometimes it, they find themselves off balance and fall over, uh, you know, before they hit a hundred, that sort of thing. But my point is, if you haven't done a hundred slowly, a hundred fast won't help you. Uh-huh. It, if it, it'll, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll bust you up. Yeah. It, so it, there is a point where you have to um, kind of curb yourself. Uh, as a martial artist, as somebody that's uh, learning as a student and go, okay, what am I trying to achieve? And uh, you have to basically give yourself a boundary. There's a window, right? Between usually one and a hundred of repetitions to do. Now that doesn't mean you, you can, you don't have to do a hundred in a row. You could do 10 now or 20 now and then have five you know sets uh of the block and strike right but you got to do stuff in between because the rest of your body needs to catch up i want to touch on two things you said i'll touch on the first one will be the last thing you just said which is breaking it up like my mom when i was going for my first black belt i was like eight and a half when i started the training process and I didn't really know what I was doing, but we had at home training that was prescribed. Right. And you had to do X amount before your next black belt class or, you know, push ups, sit ups, this, that, the other. Push ups, sit ups, stuff like that. I didn't really care. I can do that kind of stuff all day, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as an eight and a half year old. Like, (laughs) just doing push ups and sit ups just because I can. Um, jumping right. jacks, that's easy, but like running, mm-hmm. I, oh, 
hated running and I had to do like a like a mile and a half run or something like that after my test. Yeah. So my mom would break it up at the track. She was really like my first like personal trainer, you know, like my first corner coach. Mm-hmm. And she would just like break it up at the track. And, you know, the track was up the street. It was exactly like 0.45 miles away. So she, that was my first half mile, you know. Um, and she would make sure that like I jogged and fast walked all the way to the to the school, you know. Then I would I would have X amount of minutes to do my first lap. And it was like generous, but she was she was basically just like teaching me the thing you're talking about, which is like portion control. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to the next thing I want to address which is the first thing you talked about which is what i talked about which is overtraining mm-hmm. i don't want to put him on blast um nobody listening knows him but i just just in case i don't want to put him on mm-hmm. blast so um basically one of one of my i call him a training partner but i don't fight um professionally so m- w- somebody i take classes with um yeah, he he had a fight last year, and um, man, mm-hmm. he was looking good in the gym. Like he was looking good in sparring. His wrestling was looking really good, and uh, I thought I thought he was going in. I don't want to say I thought he was going to win because that's a that's a trite thing to say. I did sure. I did think he was going to do really well, and um, I just recently saw the footage of the fight. And he got for everybody that's hanging on like for did he did he win or lose or what happened? I'm gonna make you wait like five more seconds to, <laughs> to hear that. But basically, before the fight, in the weeks leading up during his camp, we were talking about how good he looked in training. But my boss, our coach, was saying, "Yeah, but I think he's, I think he's overtraining." And I didn't realize how much he was. But like I would, mm-hmm. I would go in to teach with him for the kids mm-hmm. class because he was he would help me with the kids MMA. He was already like sweating, and like okay, well whatever, maybe he's just getting in like a run or something, no big deal. Sure. And then like I would talk to somebody else that worked there, and she would be like, "Yeah, I heard like somebody just beating the ever loving piss out of the heavy bag in there for like two hours the other day." And I was like, two hours? What?" <laughs> On the heavy bag? Nobody hits the heavy bag for 25 minutes, let alone two hours. I shouldn't say nobody, but, you know, we're talking minutes with the heavy bag. We're not talking in hours, okay? My coach was like, "I, he's not going to listen to me in the corner. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't go. But um, to, to get to the juicy part, he gets into the fight and... Does well during the first round. Knocks the other guy down. It's looking pretty competitive. Um, doesn't want to get in a grappling match. So he lets the guy stand up. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, Because in, in training, we drilled like passing the guard and hammer fisting the face into the mat. That's part of why I wasn't drilling with him so much towards the end of the camp because I didn't want to be getting hammer fisted into the mat all night. And that isn't what happened. He, like, let the dude up, gave him a little bit more of an advantage. They tapped gloves at the end of round one. I'm like, oh, no. And in round two, he just – he gets caught, like, stunned, 
goes, you know, complete KO. And he said after the fact, like, it's my fault. I was in there, like, doing stuff for way too long, way too hard, way too fast, way too many. And I didn't give myself Mm -hmm. any breaks. And you could be in the greatest shape in the world. You could look like a Spartan and Mm -hmm. get KO'd instantly. And when it comes to saber fighting, we don't take it that serious. But let's say you want to fight in a tournament. But if you're overtraining and you pull something or you Mm -hmm. stress something so that the first fight in the tournament, you like your knee buckles and now good, good night for the rest of the day. (laughs) <laughs> you've you've overtrained. This is this is what's going to happen. And maybe you spent money. Maybe you flew to get to that tournament. Maybe you're going to a fellow uh, martial arts school within a couple hours driving distance, and now you have to drive with a bum knee back home. Right. So I don't know. Overtraining. Don't do it. Find find yourself a happy medium. Five, ten, fifteen minutes. You know that can change. That could become more. That could become less. That's not a hard fast number but it's it's a good it's a good jump off and and it doesn't have to be every day you know five out of seven days a week if you're thinking about what you're doing five out of seven days a week man you're doing more than most people do just thinking about it yeah i would say if you learn how to listen to your body if it hurts when you do that don't do that (laughs) right I say that a lot. It should feel comfortable. It shouldn't feel uncomfortable to do something. If it does, do something different. And, and unfortunately, it's it's well, there. There is something to be said about your version of uh, Rocky Balboa or you know Karate Kid montage whenever you're training, but especially for an event. But at the same time, you have to think it through. And kind of uh, understand that, okay, if I've done this a hundred times, then that's that's good. You know, you you don't have to do it, you know, the hundred and first time in order to, to to get it right that day or that time. You want to make sure that if you are actually uh, going through uh, the painful process, and, and yes, it will be painful. Uh, of training that you, you're going to do it for non-diminishing returns because it, yeah. we are in here to have fun yes and and for some of us you know it, it is about you know winning and and being able to say I, I work really hard for this that sort of thing totally fine however we don't want to see you get hurt and if you do get hurt you miss out on the fights that you probably look forward to that you've been training for overtraining yeah for. yeah and, and and that's the thing there's there is a point where your body does have to relax there is a point where your body has to actually um chill and kind of process uh on what they're doing and you know i say this to my students all the time even god rested on the seventh day so so should you <laughs> it's a thing. That's that's a really interesting interesting way to look at it. Put this into perspective because with saber martial arts, even you or me who probably picks up our saber several times every single day even for a few seconds just to run through something, the perspective is that we're not really doing this the same way of like the fighter I was talking about who who is in an MMA fight. This guy wants to do that 
for his paycheck. Do you know what I mean? That's that's right. a lot different than the average saber person. But let me get a little sensitive here. I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to take this the wrong way. But let's be honest with ourselves here because this is a health and fitness show in essence, right? If it's about yeah. martial arts, it's about health and fitness. Us Star Wars nerds, if that's who you are, we're a mixed bag as far as health and fitness is concerned. Can we just say it that way oh, without offending absolutely. too many people? Okay, we're a mixed bag. And even us, like I've been doing martial arts all my life. I have my moments where I'm a little bit, mm, a little more fit to make bacon out of my back than I am <laughs> to like do jujitsu off my back. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. And, and that's okay. Like everybody is going to be, like you said earlier, at their own level of like whatever that is, fitness, health, mm-hmm. mental health. Whatever that is for you, though, you need to like, you need to dial that in. I'm, I'm here at Saber class. I want to participate. I'm going to go, 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 go. I'm, tra- I'm here to maybe get more fit, get more mentally fit, get more physically fit. But you're not going to do that if you, if you like just jump right into it Let's say you've got like 20, 30, 40 extra pounds and you want to use saber fighting as a way to like help help knock some of that off. Maybe you're riding the bike a little bit. Maybe you go to the gym a little more, lift some weights, whatever. Maybe you got a whole regimen, but saber fighting is going to be a big part of that. Well, you can't make saber fighting a part of that if you injure yourself saber fighting. You can't make weightlifting a part of that if you injure yourself weightlifting. And you sure can't make saber fighting a part of that if you injure yourself weightlifting, riding the bike, blah, blah, blah. So all these things, they have to, you have to take all of it into account. Like if I did a lot of hard sparring or, or fast rounds one right after another, then I'm not going to like go to the elliptical immediately after class and do 45 minutes on the elliptical. It's just not going to happen. My legs are not going to work. But if I did mitt work that night, Ellipticals in the cards. Why not? That's easy. So it's kind of a it's kind of a balancing act for us mixed bag geeks who like to use our geek dumb as a way to kind of harness fitness, um, which I think is great. I think it's a good way to do it. I think that absolutely any martial art, but definitely one that you're interested in from a, a perspective other than just trying to like get fit, saber fighting is a great way to do it. But balance it, and you can't you can't do other forms of exercise if you mess yourself up doing exercise. Right, <laughs> right. You'd it, it, be hard pressed to uh, to do a good job. <laughs> then you're you're if if you're already a little overweight, or maybe you're like maybe it's not a weight thing. Maybe it's just like the way you feel when you wake up. Mm-hmm. You want to feel like you have more energy. Right. You're gonna be out of training for a week. You're going to be out of training for two weeks, three weeks. Well, during that two weeks, three weeks time, you've forgotten some stuff. You've mm-hmm. not been able to swing the saber so much. You blah, 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 blah. You're, you're not helping your fitness at all at that point. You're really going backwards. Right. I think, man, that, that overtraining thing has so many like tears of, of how it can screw you up. Right. And it will bring you to tears. Right. That's the other part of it. It really will. It really, and to go back to black belt training, you've done it more times than I have, but like that's one of those things where your teacher's trying to get you to that point 
of where you've mm-hmm. overtrained yourself to, to to where you go, hold on a second, something's not working. But it's not so much overtraining, it's like pushing yourself to that, we talked about this a few episodes back, that breaking point of like, this is what it feels like to, to look at overtraining in the eye, you know, and say, you're not going to get me, I'm going to push past it, I'm going to become more fit, more, and I'm going to take care of my body a little better, and I'm going to listen to it and train smarter. There we go. Not harder. Right. It's a tough pill for us Americans to swallow for sure. I know we got right. listeners all around the world. Could uh thank you for that, by the way. For us Americans to swallow, it's all about that hard work getting results, right? Sometimes it's hard mm-hmm. work and mm-hmm. hard relaxation to get results. Right. Yeah, it, it's a it definitely is a thing when um if you show up and you're used to something as well. So, because there's some of us that uh, have done this before and it's hard to go back and relive the glory days, right? So, <laughs> some, you know, sometimes we forget that, oh no, I'm not back in high school anymore. Yeah. You know, my knees aren't what they used to be. My back uh, is giving out, whatever it might be, right? So, it, in, Oh man, I used to be able to run for a mile and not get winded. Oh no, now I am. The slow, ever present grandfather time leaning on your back will eventually take you out. It's uh, destroyed mountains and moved oceans. So the only truly undefeated fighter in history is Father Time. Hey y'all, this is your main man, Foe. Just want to say thank you so much for listening to the Saber Martial Arts Foundation podcast. I really hope you're enjoying today's show. I also just want to take a quick second to thank our sponsor and the official Sabersmith of SMAF, Key Sabers. If you're not familiar with Key Sabers, well, now's the time to get familiar. They offer two flagship combat-grade sabers, the Persuader and the Slayer. The Persuader is a community favorite. It's been around for a while, sits at about 11 inches in hilt length. The blade retention is about three and a half to four inches, which is just ridiculous and super balanced. And the newest Saber model would be the Slayer. Slayer is about 13 inches standard, but you can buy an extender for that to get it out to 16 inches if that's your thing. And really the main feature of every Key Saber is their all-in-one chassis system. The owner, Kyle, designed this chassis to fit the LED, the rechargeable battery, the switch, and if you buy one, the sound card, into this really sleek 3D printed design. Just a couple inches long, fits real snug into the bottom of your hilt, and it won't be rattling around and breaking stuff inside your hilt while you're fighting, which, of course, as a saber martial artist or just somebody who takes their saber fighting kind of seriously, you're really going to appreciate that. And with the switch on the bottom, there's no greeblies on the outside of the hilt to like mess with your grip or cut into your palm or anything like that. The best news is SMAF individual affiliates can talk to a board member or members of affiliate schools can talk to your head instructor and earn special pricing off the entire Key Sabers lineup. Okay, enough babbling. Go to keysabers.com, K-I-S-A-B-E-R-S.com and add a real martial arts tool to your toolkit now. As you, or at least I am, well, let me speak uh, about myself. As I get older, there are certain things that I'm just like, nope, not going to do that again. You know, um, there are certain uh, techniques uh, in open hand martial arts where I'm just like, why did I think that was a good idea? Oh, it looked cool. Yeah. Okay. 
but it, but I was fast enough to pull it off or I was able to recover quickly from, you know, doing the splits or something like that. I could pop right back up. Didn't you open up some new techniques to yourself as you got older, easier to do for you, but it ended up being like, man, Mm -hmm. why didn't I do that more often when I was younger and, and more athletic and stupider, you know what I mean? And and that's, that is the, that is the cosmic joke uh, of, of martial arts, of, uh, passion projects of things like that. Like there, there's a sweet spot really where you have all of the experience and knowledge to do it, but you should have did it 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. So, and you see this all the time in, or at least I see it all the time when people come in like, Oh man, yeah, I used to do martial arts uh, when I was a kid. I wish I stuck with it. You know, but now I have a kid, and I want him to get 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 out of, out of it what I got out of it. Right. It's like, okay, well, why aren't you there next to him, friend? Because if you really got something out of it, you'd be doing it with him. Right. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. So, but remember, you're not a nine year old kid anymore, so you won't be doing the same things that your nine year old will be doing. You'll be doing a modified version of it, so that you can hopefully train together. And and that's it's it's hard to. Um, to kind of swallow that that switch yeah yeah to swallow that pill to to flip the switch in your head to say okay here's what i want to do i want to be able to do a kata with my family because it just looks cool if the three of us are doing our thing but every i want everybody to have you know a little bit of themselves in it because it it is an art right there's not there's a part of you that will be doing the same movements as somebody a thousand years before but if it's not you then it's not done correctly mm-hmm. it has to be that's why it's an art mm-hmm. so it's an expression of you and your body so you know we all have and, and i'm super guilty of this because i think it's always cool when somebody does this but i i scroll down on facebook or i go to uh, a carnival and i see a kid do something amazing right i see a five-year-old uh, pull off drunken boxing and I'm like yeah that's awesome he's doing flips and kicks and all that stuff like whoa that took a lot of discipline I'm not as impressed at the 18 year old doing it but let me tell you if a 90 year old was doing that same thing I'd be super impressed right so there's a there's a sweet spot <laughs> in there where where even uh, the the confirmation bias of oh well you know I'm still young and spry or the uh you know oh yeah that guy can do that uh yeah that would work in a cage or whatever uh shows up it's part of that person's journey a part of that person's art and the ultimate expression of themselves and that's and that's kind of how you can see the uh the progression usually of all of of all these things and and all the movements that you have that you can practice because we've all gone through classes and you know i'm i'm also uh guilty of this as well is yeah you know what i don't have it in me to do 100 jumping jacks to warm up mm-hmm. i'm just gonna go ahead and pick up my sword and start swinging <laughs> <laughs> you know but if you haven't gotten the ability to do a jumping jack right um to get your landing gear on your feet down y- you don't start off 
or at least I don't start off a white belt class with triple kicks landing in the splits. We got to work our way up to that. You have to, especially when you're training by yourself, understand that, yes, you still do need to warm up. Yes, you still need to stretch. Yes, you can do that. Now, if your taught forms, the beauty of forms is that it's baked into the form. Every single movement, if you do it correctly and, and do it with the correct uh, amount of focus, is meant to just warm you up so that you can do you know, uh, something else. It's kind of like, um, have you ever used Google Earth? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a thing where it just shows you the planet and then you type in like a city and it zooms in a little bit at a time until you get to the, to the city that you want. It's that you, the, the forms are, are there for you to, to have big movement and little movement in places where you probably, uh, can practice over and over and over again so that you have this toolbox, but it's also meant for you to warm up the parts of your body. You probably didn't think to warm up because you're going to be doing a more focused drill. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, in Kung Fu, the beginning forms are literally that. You move one hand, then the other hand, then you hold a horse stance and you straighten your back, you stretch, you do this thing, and then it goes into to another uh, form. And most Kung Fu forms work like, like that because they know, much like you know, uh, we're talking about now, you don't want to do those jumping jacks. So we're going to warm you up by the, doing this form. Right. So we're, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and make, make sure that you can, you can do that. And then once you've done that, that's your five minutes cardio. Now you're warmed up. Now you can work on the one technique over and over again that you need to. Uh, and then the next technique, next technique. Um, my best advice that I got from one of my teachers was uh, do one technique 10 times and then do it over the next 10 days. If you do it 10 times that day, by the end of the 10 days, right, you have, you've done it a hundred times, but do 10 techniques that way. So now you're, you're not just getting good at, let's say reverse punch, right? Right. You're, cause you're going to do thousands upon thousands of reverse punch. You're not just doing that. You're doing, you're usually doing like a combination um, in order to, to get really good at that reverse punch at the end. So you get to that point, you do it 10 times, and then you set it down until tomorrow and you do it over again. And that was, that was the story of my life for 10 years. And by the time I did it there, well, uh, my teacher said, Hey, show me a reverse punch. And, and I did it. And he's like, okay, good. Now you can actually hit something without me worrying about you breaking your, your wrist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it got to that point where it's like, yeah, I practiced it for, 10,000 days, 10 times. Okay. That's about three years. All right. And then I did it for three times that amount. So I've probably done, you know, at least 30,000 of these. Okay, great. I think I can pull it off because I did it three times more than I should have. I'm not even going to check your math. Sounded legit. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, if you were to really get good at, let's say, uh, overhead strike do it you can do it 10 to 100 times a day and get just really good at it by the end of the year right if you did 365 days in the year right mm-hmm. you do it 3,600 uh, 330 uh, yeah if you did it 100 times a day 36,500 times in one year sure right you didn't do 36,500 
of them in a day. It took you a year to get there, but you did it that many times. You can earn not warming up because you did it a lot, right? <laughs> your body is your 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 body is is set to uh, to do something. Yeah. We do a a form in our uh, school, which is basically just pull, uh, stretching the tendons and moving and being able to to make sure that your joints are are aligned and everything like that. And nobody tells you a thing, at least my teacher never told me until like 10 years later, like what it did. Like now that you've done it for 10 years, you can kick out a ceiling tile. I'm like, oh, that's why I feel stronger than everybody else. We're like, yes, because you've been doing that. I didn't tell you because, you know, it, it, if you tell somebody that, they'll overtrain. They'll yeah. hurt themselves because they think they can do it in less time. Right. No, you do have to take the time to do it. I was just going to say, Absolutely. you see that with, with, the MMA people that I train with, um, mm-hmm. I to to put it in a positive light, or at least a neutral light, um, mm-hmm. it's like sometimes they feel good about the way something's going, so they mm-hmm. think that they've got it. Right. So then they don't come to class or they don't (laughs) put their effort into trying the thing that they were just doing with the teacher or the coach or actually I find it. Sorry, wrestlers, wrestlers, (laughs) wrestlers who are good at wrestling just think that the boxing's going to come. It's like not the case, (laughs) y'all. It's not the case. And a lot of times it can be the case. A wrestler can get good at boxing more easily, in my opinion, than a boxer can get good at wrestling. But just because you're tough and can take a punch and can put somebody on their back all the time does not mean that you can rack points up with your fists and feet. Uh, Right. And it doesn't mean that you can put your hands in front of your face and not get hit. Right. So what you're saying about like, if I told you like sometimes with, with the MMA people, like the result is so visible of what they could accomplish mm-hmm. or how they could win, or I could knock this guy out or I could, I'm going to choke him out in the second round, you know, like, <laughs> but like, you got to get there first. You got to get there first. Right. And if you don't get there, you're not going to you're not going to be able to accomplish the purpose of the thing you're practicing. And why I bring the wrestlers up, I'm going to put him on his back and 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 destroy him from there. Well, if you don't even know how to throw a decent punch, then what are you going to do once you put him down? Lay on him and just frustrate him? I mean, you might win, but nobody's going to be impressed by that. Nobody's going to be like throwing you bajillions of dollars. And it goes the same way with people um, to put myself on blast who come from more of a kickboxing background and then assume that they're just going to be able to defend themselves from getting put on their ass. Uh, no, <laughs> no. If that wrestler who maybe doesn't care that they don't know how to throw a punch and they just come right in and they eat five or six shots on the way and they're still standing, they're going to put you down and they're going to lay on you and they're going to be okay with laying on you because that's what they do. 
That's what they're best right. at. <laughs> Not right, letting right. you up. And now you're in trouble. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to train not getting put on your ass by people who are better at putting you on your ass than you are at not getting there. Right. And that, okay, so how does that come down to like training at home? Well, train with purpose is what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. There is a purpose. You might not always know what that is. Sometimes you do. But train with that with that journey of of getting to that purpose. Like if your purpose is to just win fights, well, great. But you have to train to do that. So you have to have, like if you're doing forms, train those forms with some snap, with some targeting, with some blah, 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 that would be applicable to fighting. If you're not interested in that, if you're just doing it as martial arts, just to just to do a hobby, well, great. Now do it for proper technique. Do it a little slower. Do it a little faster. Do it with your eyes closed. Do it. These are all the ways you can practice. To, to answer the question simply, like, you can practice any way you want, but doing it is half the battle. So if you have some cheat codes like we're trying to give you here, then you can kind of mold your own 5, 10, 15, 20-minute practices however you like. Training with a purpose and, and that journey is part of the purpose, man. Um, dude, it's uh, we sound like such fortune cookies, but... <laughs> Well, that's where they get them from. Let's talk a little bit about like some of the some of the gear, um, maybe in home training and um, like in class, just like just like random stuff. One thing I like is gi pants, <laughs> sure. or or a really stretchy, comfortable pair of jeans, or or like um, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be a girl. But I'm assuming that there's a lot of girls out there that training like leggings or yoga pants or something like that. I'm sure it's great. But you also want to train in some like a tough material. So if you, that's the the route you're choosing, whether you're a dude or a lady and, and you're choosing like the skivvy type route, make sure it's a tough material, a real like abrasion resistant material. But like I like gi pants um, or stretchy jeans you know, that I get from the martial arts catalog. Um, if anybody's like, what is he talking about? I know they used, you remember Billy Jacks, Alan? I do. <laughs> so they're basically Billy Jacks. They're, they're, they're like, um, they look and feel like regular jeans when you wear them, but they're completely stretchy. I always tell people I can kick higher in those than I can in my, in my uniform. And I get those from Century Martial Arts. Like, you guys will find, like, I use Century for a lot of stuff. But if you have access to a, a martial arts school or teacher, whether it's Century or Fairtex or Asian World or, you know, uh, Macho or whatever the case is, they'll turn you on to some good gear. Um, and if it, you're in a weapon school, your list of gear grows now. So anyway, I like I like a good pair of pants that have some stretch but also have some some abrasion resistance and toughness. The gi pants, people don't realize cotton is like a really good material for armoring yourself if you're yeah. if you're wearing like like a like a gi cotton or um, a really heavy like sort of like a my brother used to call them drug rugs, but uh, those like stoner like hemp hoodies you know that kind of stuff what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I wear like light gi pants, but I also sometimes I'll wear like a 12, 14, 16 ounce gi pant that has like, you know, audible qualities to the fabric so that if I get hit by a heavy grade blade, I don't need to wear like shin guards. Like the fabric actually absorbs a lot of that shock. Um, so that's just something, or you can get away with like soccer shin guards underneath your pants that way or something, something lighter. Um, so that's something I like. What's something you like? to train in uh, clothing or gear-wise? A lot of times, especially those of us that have uh, been in martial arts school, you know, most of our lives, you know, shoes aren't a thing, right? But there's something to be said about, you know, what if you're training for something. If you're training for uh, a tournament, figure out what, what's actually going to be happening there. Like a good pair of shoes, like we, we uh, like I wear, they're called Feiyus. That's what I wear too. They're built right down the road from the Shaolin Temple. They're great, but I'm used to them, right? But I, I've recently started using just a nice pair of Nikes, you know, uh, because that's what um, um, I'm going to wear to the park or, uh to to another school of course you clean them but you you figure out what is going to be okay uh for where you're going to fight so for most smaf tournaments you know helmet a fencing helmet pair of lacrosse gloves are better um and recommended a cup but everything else is kind of yeah whatever your comfort is right but if I were to go to, let's say, another place where it's like you have to be in full armor, then I'll I'll look at okay, I'm gonna look at being able to practice in my full gear, yeah, because that's what I'm gonna be wearing, yeah, right. So if I'm if I'm just working on my blade work, you know, that's a, that's one thing because I can do that anywhere and I can do that in just some whatever comfortable clothes I have. Sure. But, but if I'm actually going to practice for an event, I want to be able to be in my armor, in my helmet, holding my, uh, my positions and my, my techniques in that uh, amount of time that I probably would be in. So two to three hours usually for most tournaments yeah. um, and other tournaments longer. But it really just does depend on what's going on in your own academy so for example uh our friend nick and the penguins live in palm desert they practice in the park on a uh on tennis court or, or a basketball court and it does get hot in the palm desert so you gotta you gotta figure it out right you're probably if you're if you're a penguin you're probably going to be wearing a short some short sleeves maybe some shorts even but you're going to wear uh you know, whatever protection you, you feel like wearing. And because you're on a basketball basketball court, you're probably not going to be wearing Feyus too much because the heat does go through them. Okay, so you, you, you're you thinking of, uh, uh, of all those things and you want to practice with that. Um, because let me tell you, if the only time that you're in your armor is when you're fighting, it makes it really hard to fight if you didn't realize, oh my God, this one strap is digging into my arm no that's very valid and the shoes 
are something that people don't think of as part of their armor kit, uh, just mm-hmm. like the pants. Uh, but the shoes are even more of an issue than the pants. And like, just to, to dabble on what you said about like, you're, you're not wearing um, the Fayus on like a basketball court. Like I wear them on the mats. I love them on the mats. And if you're going to a tournament at a martial arts school where like the rules require some sort of mat shoe, it's a great option because they're cheap. Um, you know, you get them from directly from China for like 25 bucks <laughs> and um, they come in high top and low top. Great, whatever. But when I would go to San Diego, I didn't have any Fayus at the time just because I was training in bare feet most of the time in our dojo. And I didn't like the traditional like karate shoes that like Adidas and some of the other brands make. Um, they're just not for me. They are for some people. For me, they just didn't love them. So I would, I would use like my normal running shoes. And then I had a pair of like skater shoes. Mm-hmm. I vastly preferred the skater shoes to the runner shoes on the tennis court. It, it, it sort of behaved like a skater shoe should on like grip tape kind of thing. Right. So if you're the kind of person that likes to wear um, maybe like Chucks or Vans or, um, you know, Converse, like skate shoe type stuff, I think that's a great option if like a tennis court is or a basketball court is kind of like your normal area of play if you're on a basketball court maybe look a little more into like an actual basketball shoe or some i know like some of the skate shoes now they're a little bit hybrid of like a basketball shoe and a skate shoe um i think that's a great option because it has like enough grip to it and everything you also have enough glide and slide to where you can accomplish some of the more nimble feats you might need to accomplish in the heat of a of a of a match so that's just my personal opinion. I think the skate shoe or or martial arts shoe, Feiyu is is more of a martial arts and, and sort of like a parkour shoe. So that kind of falls in the same category as a skate shoe to me. It's like a specialized um, flat bottom, decent grip, um, but you can move. You can move really well in them. And they're usually some of the more comfortable shoes, which is you want to be thinking about like is my arch – aching in the middle of a fight because you'll get hit a lot um but practicing in your armor let's talk let's talk about this really quickly alan because i don't do it enough just doing blade work with your gloves on that's a big deal but like putting your fencing helmet on and and working with that it sometimes it feels like you like like you entered a different dimension under there yeah until like you have time to adjust even if you wear it all the time sometimes you put it on you're like that's right. This thing's impossible to see out of sometimes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And you don't want to get to the point where you feel that way. Well, maybe you do want to get to the point where you feel that way, but you, you don't want it to be able to make that a detriment to your training. Right. Yeah. You want to make sure that, that you have the helmet on because it will be a detriment when you're fighting. Well, think about Luke in the hold of the millennium Falcon, right? With the right. blast shield down on the helmet. That's that's basically what you're doing. You're training with the blast shield down on the helmet, and eventually you can see. And that's the thing that, again, if you have done this before, you realize, ah, okay, I can do this. I've been able to do this before. I just haven't actually uh, 
practice it enough. Yeah, it, it's it does take you off guard when you have experience and and you throw that thing on and you're like blind again and you're like, oh, wait a second, I I'm smarter than this. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and a, a lot of times too, um, it's not about just your equipment either. It's about what's going on around you because some sometimes you're if you know that you're going to be going to a tournament and it's going to be outside and it's going to be uh, dark but there will be, you know, floodlights that does change what is shining through your mask. Oh yeah. Especially if you have a lighter color, like a blue blade that you're rocking. Right. And also like, okay, what if, what if it, it, it's a softer light, if it's a yellow light, if it's white light, a lot of that does, uh, the tiniest little, uh, bit that changes could throw you off. Right. So if if you are used to fighting with a 36 inch blade and then all of a sudden uh you know oh sorry you got to fight with a 30 inch ah that you're going to fight differently you're going to have to figure out the different weight yeah figure out all that so there there is a thing to be said about creating conditions so we talked about this a little bit earlier before we started recording but creating the conditions that are conducive to winning your fight right and to make sure that they don't uh or your opponent doesn't get one in on you that's really all training is and if we can pull that off we did good if we can't pull that off oops you know uh we have to go back to the drawing board and try again you just gave people like a hundred new options for ways to train which is the topic of the show which is train with your helmet on train with your chest piece on train with your gloves on train with different pair of shoes train outside train on the basketball court train on the tennis court train in the track train in the grass train on the dojo mats uh right but on top of that how can you simulate all the different conditions around you train with the heater on train with the you know outside in the cold train you know with your eyes closed or with somebody distracting you with conversation while you run through a form or something like that. Right. How, how to practice at home is really like, that. that's not really the question. It's like, how are you going to practice at home today to, to benefit whatever you want to accomplish, which is what you're saying. And you, you mentioned like environmentally, like, Oh, what if it's really hot in Palm desert and like you're wearing a t-shirt well, what if you're wearing like a tank top? What if you're like, I know sometimes, um, you know, like if it's really hot, nickel let some of the dudes just like wear their chest guards instead of a shirt. Right. If that's the case, then you might change the amount of armor you're wearing that day even based on the temperature. Like you might wear more armor that day because you're wearing less clothing or you might wear more clothing that day but then go, holy crap, there's no way I can put even one more piece of armor on besides my helmet and gloves. Like, it's just not happening today. Um, so that's the kind of thing that you do it you, you do it both ways so that neither way throws you off. Right. It, and it's it's not something that, that is just, just comes to you. It's something that over time, eventually, you'll just go, oh, that's right. I've been there before. Um, you kind of take away any of those gotcha moments at at, uh, at the tournament where it's like, oh, I didn't plan on it being 
this hot. Oh, I didn't plan on it. Um, well, yeah, of course you didn't plan on it. This is your first time here. But if we can help you remember, hey, it's going to be a hundred and, you know, something degrees when, uh, when we're fighting. So make sure you stay hydrated. It becomes easier to mitigate that sort of stuff because then you can, then you can actually go, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I've trained for this. I know that if I drink, you know, an eight ounce bottle of water every hour on the hour, I'll be all right. Yeah. But it, it's, it's hard to uh, get to that point if you've never done it. Well, that comes down to uh, techniques too, like to to use the M- again. It's all about perspective, right? But to use the MMA guys to, and I say guys, there's there's only like two girls, uh, mostly <laughs> guys. Um, uh, as an example, if they're right-handed, most of most of them, not all of them, most of them don't want to fight with their left side back at all. Right. They want to fight with their right side back. We call that orthodox position. That's the standard position for a right-handed fighter. And uh, with sword fighting, it's kind of the opposite. The standard position generally would be with your strong side in front so that you can deliver that action at the finish of the blow or so whatever. Um, and that's not true for all sword styles all across the board. It's just a very flippant generalization I'm throwing out there. But, um, me personally, I switch sides a lot and I'm right-handed in life, but I do a lot of things left-handed in sport I'm not by any means a great surfer or skateboarder. But when I do venture onto one of those items, I'm usually in a left footed position, a goofy foot. If I am sparring Southpaw with my right side forward, not in the back, even though it's technically my power side, I fight with that forward so that I can access my strong side kicks more quickly, my strong side jabs more quickly. Plus, I have a bum left foot, so I don't like to kick people in the legs with my left foot very often, so it puts it puts my kicks with the right leg in front. There's a lot of reasons, but I switch a lot. Because there's other techniques that I do much better with my left side in front. And I don't want my partner to know or my opponent to know that. So I practice both sides so that I can show them techniques off both sides. Even though I might want to score a sidekick with my right side in front, I'll show them the left side in front sidekick so that they, they're not sure. I, they know that I can do it both sides. They're not sure which one's going to come from, even though I know which one I prefer it to come from, if that makes right. sense. And when you're practicing, a lot of these MMA guys, they, they only practice from the orthodox position. And I get this question. I never got it until I started working with some of these guys. I just started getting it, which was like after I throw this kick or this move and, and my right side's forward now, like like I'm getting caught. Like I'm getting punched or I'm getting taken down or I'm, it's like, yeah, because like you didn't train any of your jabs with the right side forward. You didn't train any of the one twos. You didn't train any rear leg kicks with the left and you didn't train any takedown defense going for your right leg. But for me, it's, it's kind of second nature because in karate class or tradition, most traditional martial arts, even like jujitsu, like something that's not strike striking based. You do both mm-hmm. sides for every single 
technique and you do them equally. If I do 10 reverse punches off the right hand, I switch stances and do 10 reverse punches off the left hand. If, mm-hmm. if I'm in a long sword school and I do 10 spherical off the right side, I switch stances and I do 10 spherical off the left side. Right. You do in the traditional sense a lot of the time, but in saber fighting, there's a lot of people that treat it more like the MMA side, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they're trying to get the mixed bag right away so that they can apply it right away. That is a good strategy if you want to do it right away. But you do have to mix in, like practice both sides, practice going forward and backward, practice going to the right and to the left with your footwork and so forth. So up and down, you know, in and out, all those dualities have to be covered in your training. Again, you don't have to do it all at once. Maybe one night you focus on fast versus slow. Maybe another day you're like throwing some some combos together and you just focus on like high zone, low zone switching. You, after a week, like you to use your 10 day example, after 10 days you practice 10 concepts and you did one to 10 of them each a day. It's like, well, now I've got 100 of, of something <laughs> and I can work with 100. Yeah, it, it becomes a, a matter of what are you actually training for? right? You, you, you hear that all the time, right? But it's, it's actually, yeah. What are you actually training for? Um, are you training for yourself? Or are you training for something else? You know, because a lot of times what happens is people forget that um, we're looking at playing a game. And unfortunately, that's one of those things where the game might change. Yeah. Uh, depending on the rule set, the blade width, the the armor, you could possibly not be ready for that day. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe you are. It 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 is it, it is a balance, and unfortunately or fortunately, depending how, on how you see it, you have to kind of roll with it and realize that you know you might not have all the answers, but you might have an answer. Yeah. Don't believe anything about perfection. You wouldn't have to practice if there was some perfection that you could reach. It, regardless of your purpose for training, you should have one. We've already said that. You just said it. But regardless of what it is, whatever you're training for, you got, you got to not be afraid of failure because, you know, shout out to Andre, winning or learning, right? Uh, every time you you get tapped out, so to speak, in training, you you have an opportunity to like address an issue and get better at something or every time that you get caught with the same technique more than once and you have a moment of clarity where you go oh wait i'm stepping in this direction and they're cutting from this direction with their saber every single now i get okay so if it took you a hundred years to figure that out at least at some point you figured it out that's that's progression that's what you're practicing for uh, ultimately um so i think the what you do to practice it could be anything it could be kata it could be combos it could be single moves there's anything you could do you do it to a coat rack to a punching bag to the air to the mirror whatever to an opponent to your brother sister whatever 
what you want to get out of it is going to dictate the length of time, the space you do it in, which saber you pick up that day, which blade you put in it. If you put a blade in it at all, maybe you just use the hilt that day. For Alan, maybe one day he's prepping for a saber tournament, but maybe one day he's just not, he, the, the saber drilling is not working for him. So he'll go do like a, a form from his Kung Fu training just to, to get his body doing something in the right direction. You know what I mean? So right. all those things change. But what you're doing, you know, that's the easy question. That's like, well, whatever you've done in class, you can pick any two, three, five, seven of those items and practice them for a little bit every day and, and get good. But what what you're training them for, how long, where, what materials you need and all that, that's something you kind of have to address yourself every day. And we're kind of giving you some options of, of how you can do that. Absolutely. Look the part, feel good. That comes down to your gear, your saber. Um, you mentioned earlier blade length. Find a hilt or two hilts that no matter what length blade, you know you're going to be feeling good about about wielding those sabers. Shout out to key sabers because between the persuader and the slayer, honestly, I don't think you can do any better in a standard saber division for interchangeability. Now, I will shout out to Mando Core as well. Because, um, first of all, um, Jason is um, a SMAF affiliate, so we want to show him some love. And I know for a fact that we have a lot of affiliates who prefer Mandocord just as much as they do their key sabers for different reasons, too. And we want to show um, those two companies some love. Find, it doesn't have to be them. Find any saber that you feel good about screwing a blade of various lengths into that's what you train with for what you're going to use that saber for those blades for if you're just in it to train great you know find something that makes you feel good go go get a shelf queen and and feel good about it it's all good yeah you have to look good feel good and then um you'll get good yeah definitely you you also need a good coach maybe that's your wife telling you you look like <laughs> and do it again or maybe it's mm-hmm. it's a legit coach or teacher who says you know this part needs a little work here this needs this or maybe it's it's you and you like are real honest with yourself when you look in the mirror and you don't just assume that you look dope every time and maybe you like i'm dropping my elbow every time i throw this thing i shouldn't drop my elbow there or you know i need to drop my elbow in this position so anyway we're rambling but alan i think I think we actually did I th- provide a little bit of clarity as far as like it is tough to practice at home. It's tough to know what to do, how long to do it, and, and why you're doing it. So I think we, we did kind of provide a little bit of muddy clarity on that. <laughs> muddy clarity. Yeah. That's what we're all about. <laughs> is there anything you want to address before we, we log it out? No. Um. Basically – if you're training, just just don't overtrain. There is enjoy things outside of what you're really focusing on. It makes the focus even better. I think if you're practicing at all outside of class, then you're mm-hmm. already leaps and bounds ahead of most of the class. Right. It's just the truth. I don't want to offend anybody who's like, "Who's talking about me?" That's all good. No, no. I- Think think about 
because we are talking about martial arts, think about all the other types of art there is. No matter what type of art it may be, at some point you have to take a step back and see what you've done, right? That's a beautiful point. That's a beautiful point. Yeah, if you were a sculptor, you know, you have to take a step back and say, oh, well, you know, I have to make adjustments there. Or, you know, hey, if I, if I was a painter, I'd have to take a step back. Oh, wow, the, the composition's all wrong. Or, you know, even even writing, you know, eventually you have to give it to somebody. You're not a part of their experience, you know, besides what you've already written. You have to let it go at some point. So basically what I'm saying is, is train hard enough. Don't train too hard, but train hard enough to be able to enjoy the fact that you train. I love that. Enjoy the fact that you trained. Here, here's a good little um, anecdote to, to put that um, into practical perspective. I feel like I've said that a lot, but whatever. <laughs> San Diego Sabres, I talk about them all the time. They have a lot of people who have previous martial arts experience. It's great. Um, they all bring a little flavor. But they also understand that their new martial art of saber fighting is a different martial art related but not exclusive to what they've experienced before, right? So one of the things I really like about sparring with pretty much everybody is that everybody's got that flavor. Whether they've trained in martial arts or they're just there doing their first martial art, they, they bring what's what's their own to it. And um, a complaint you hear a lot about people who watch a lot of saber fights on YouTube or who go to events and they're like, man, I'm getting kind of bored. Sometimes the fights are kind of dry and, and it's just fight, break, fight, break, point, break, right. point, right? I think a lot of the time that's because you're seeing just people who don't practice. Sure. You're just seeing the average person who's interested in the activity. And again, that's not a problem. This activity is not paying people. It's not an activity mm -hmm. where there's a whole lot of prestige associated with it, unless you're like a stunt person for an actual Star War. It's not, it's not an activity that we do for the, for the kudos. So... Right. If that's you, like that's, that's fine. I'm glad you're listening to this podcast because it already shows you're more interested than the average person. If if you didn't have to practice to get better or to show proficiency or to win fights or tournaments or or you know progress in belt rank or whatever the case is, we'd all be world champions. We'd all be black belts. You wouldn't even have like the UFC or the World Boxing Federation or anything i don't even know if that still exists but uh i don't watch boxing anymore but I, you wouldn't have any of these these leagues and bodies and things like that because the ceiling would already be the floor <laughs> people would just be all the best and the worst and nobody would have any competition and nobody would have any reason to go home and practice for the next opponent right and that's every sport like a football team you know, you'd be Tom Brady's football team. And though it seems like Tom Brady did all the work, first of all, Tom Brady practiced his ass off at throwing that damn football. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then practiced his ass off at telling his teammates exactly where they need to be for him to throw him the damn football. Right. Practice. <laughs> Practice makes Brady. 
Not practice makes perfect. Practice makes Brady. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to be a football fan to understand that notion. <laughs> and when it comes to saber fighting, if you want, the reason I bring up San Diego State, when I spar with them, these are people that practice their art in and out of class. And it shows when you spar with them because it's not spar break instantly. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. we're playing blade tickling. We're doing all kinds of fun, like nuanced little feints. And finally someone attacks and, oh, it's a quick point. But to get there, there was like a moment of like combat, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's okay if you don't have time to practice. Don't practice. It's not for you. That's all good. But you got to the end of this show if you're still hearing me. So maybe throw five minutes in to your time between classes and you'll see a little extra progress. Okay. The the champions of the world, it's a product of practice. And the people that they lose to are going to go home or the people that lose to them are going to go home and practice harder now because of that. Right. It's a good idea, however you accomplish it. Yeah. Man, Kyle, three-sectional saber. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, sabermartialarts.life. I hope you guys join us. We've got a bunch of apps in. If you know you sent one in and you haven't heard back yet, um, I apologize. But, hey, it's the beginning of the year, and we're going to be voting on all y'all soon. So you've been listening And some of you who have been listening have sent in applications. If you are in the United States listening, thank you very much. If you are not in the United States listening, then thank you very much in whatever language you call your own. I appreciate you so much. I know Sifu appreciates you as well. Speaking for the rest of the Saber Martial Arts Foundation, Alan, I don't know. I think the only thing left is to bring your own saber. Bring your own saber. (laughs) 